fishing trip. The people who shared Jesus with me was my parents and Heather Cates. The first person who taught me about Jesus was my dad, but the person who showed me how to live like Christ was my mom. The person who taught me about Jesus was my mom. I first heard about Jesus from my mom and dad. The people who shared Jesus with me were my parents. My name is Hirsch. I was raised in the Jewish faith most of my life. And uh, like uh, Paul, I was uh, blinded to uh, Christ. But Jehovah had opened my eyes and uh, brought me to him as a Christian. The way that I came to Christ was through a series of movies that made the rounds through churches about the end times. And I realized that although I was nine years old and grew up in a Christian home, it was time to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm Jamie Griffith, and I would say the person who introduced me to Jesus and told me about Jesus would be my mother. And then the person who taught me to be dependent on Jesus would be my father. The people who shared Jesus with me were my family. The person who first shared Jesus with me was my dad. The people that shared Jesus with me were my beautiful parents. I love you guys. A lot of people shared Jesus with me uh, over the years, but I'd probably credit my grandmother as being the first one. And um, Lord willing, she's going to be 101 in about two weeks, and she's still praying for me. And I am so grateful to God for my grandmother. That's been fun. That's been really fun to see. And uh, I'm so glad for those of you who have uh, taken the step of sharing with us who shared Jesus with you. That's really been fun to see. And, and uh, thanks, for, thanks for sharing your story. And here's what it reminds us all. It reminds us all everybody has a person in their life. If you know about Jesus, it's because someone, someone, through some means, somehow, shared Jesus with you. And uh, you can be that someone in someone else's life. That's what we're talking about in this series called Overflow because we know that everybody hears about Jesus from someone else. And we can be that someone else. And that's what we've been talking about. And uh, this will be our last installment, as we mentioned. Next Sunday is, so we're going to finish up Overflow today. Next Sunday is baptism celebration, then Easter Sunday. And then uh, I'm going to be gone for two Sundays. Lisa and I and two of our daughters are headed to China. We're going to be there for a couple weeks picking up a couple uh, sons to come home and be part of our family. And uh, one's four, one's five. You can pray for us as we uh, round out our family in that way. So, so that's kind of what the next few weeks are going to look like. But this morning what we're going to do, we're going to finish up in 2 Corinthians and uh, in this passage that we've been studying. If you, re- if you recall, we've been in a section of 2 Corinthians. Uh, from chapter 2 through chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about the nature of ministry. We've honed in on just Two chapters, chapter 4 up to this point, and then chapter 5 today. And so we're, we're going to finish that out this morning. So here's what, here's what we've been reminded of in, in Overflow, that Paul in chapter 4 has told us that we have a unique way of serving the world. We have a way of serving the world that only we can do. As Jesus followers, there's a way of serving, Jesus, serving the world that only you and I can can, there are a lot of other things we could do, but there's one thing that only we can do as a church, as Jesus followers, and that is share the good news of who Jesus is. And that that is a treasure, we were reminded, that's a treasure. The fact that you can have forgiven sins and adoption into God's family, not by working for it or being good enough, but instead just by faith in Jesus, that's a fabulous treasure. And even though, uh, even though we are ordinary people, 
We have been entrusted with this extraordinary message. And so that's why we want to learn to tell God's story and learn to tell our story and pray for people on an impact card because we, we represent Jesus to the world and we've been entrusted with this unique way of serving the world that only we can do. And as we do that, here's what happens. That's, why, that's where the, the ser- name of our series comes from. As we do this, grace reaches more and more people. 2 Corinthians 4.15. Grace reaches more and more people. More and more people give thanksgiving to God, and God gets more and more glory. So as we serve the world in this one way that only we can do, it starts a chain reaction of changed lives. And that's what overflow is about, this chain reaction of changed lives. And all of that really comes from chapter 4. But Paul takes on the same subject in the next chapter, chapter 5. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. He takes on this same idea, but he describes it again from another point of view. And so if you'll take your Bibles, open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be in this passage. It's a familiar passage, or at least parts of it are familiar. And then we've made reference to it several times over the last few weeks, so it won't be unfamiliar to you. We're going to do a little bit of uh, looking through this passage and learning from it. We're going to start right in the middle of a paragraph if you have an NIV Uh, We're going to start right in the middle of uh, a paragraph starting at verse 9. So let's read this passage. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So we make it our goal to please Him, that's Jesus, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due Him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord... We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. I'm going to stop there, and I'm not going to say anything about this verse. Verse 13 such an interesting verse. If we're out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. I'm just going to say this now. It doesn't come up later. What this verse means, if we look crazy, we should look crazy in our love for God. And between God and us, we should have crazy, fanatical devotion. To people, we should look kind of normal. That's what it means. If we're out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. I am radically devoted to God. When it comes to relating to you, I try to be normal. That's what it means. Let's keep reading. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
So in this passage, we have, it's a, it's a long passage, but we basically have, you can, you can kind of hang it all on two handles. One is what we do, and the other is why we do it. What are we supposed to do? Why are we supposed to do it? And that's what you have here in this passage. You have what we're supposed to do and why we do it, and that's kind of going to that's gonna set the framework for our conversation this morning. What we do and why we do it. And you've got to take the what before the why, but in this passage, the what comes at the end of the passage. So we're actually going to start at the end of the passage and work our way up and talk about first what it is that we are called to do, according to Paul in this passage. And it's very simple, and it actually starts with the very last verse of the whole chapter, verse 21, where it says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's really where we could start talking because this is the message that Paul is, that, that all these chapters revolve around. It's this one message. And, and in this one verse, it's the simple gospel. If you like verses like that, that have the whole gospel in one verse, like John 3.16 or Romans 6.23, then you'll like 2 Corinthians 5.21 because it's the whole gospel in one verse. God made him who had no sin. That's Jesus. God took Jesus who has no sin. He's the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh. And God made Jesus who had no sin become sin for us. That's why Jesus hung on the cross. He was in that moment paying the price, absorbing the punishment of the sin of the whole world. And he didn't have any sin. But he took it on, God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us. And we had lots of sin. We, had, we were great at sinning. So God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us who were great at sin, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. We who were great sinners could stand before God having been made right. That's the gospel in one verse. And that's the key message that all of this conversation in 2 Corinthians is about. This message that God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that we could be made righteousness, or the righteousness of God in him. A beautiful summary of the gospel. And as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, uh, this good news, it is good news. In this passage, in this paragraph, Paul makes reference several times to the good news and how great it is. So here it is at the end of the passage. It's this summary. But, but all these highlights in yellow, we'll look at those. Those are all the good. It's all good news. It's all good news. Paul in, is describing just in different ways how great this news is. So he says here, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Is that good news? A new creation. He says, the old is gone and the new has come. When you become a Jesus follower, man, all that junk and all that stuff that used to uh, impede and hinder your life and uh, increase the amount of friction between you and God, that is gone. That is gone. And you are a new person. And you are in the process of becoming new. The old is gone and the new has come. You are a new creation. And God does that in you when you turn to Jesus. So that's part of this good news. How about this? Uh, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. Good news? God reconciled. It means that you used to be at odds with God, and you and God used to be like this. And you and God, you used to be like this to God. And instead, he made Jesus, who knew no sin, be sin for you, so that your sins could be forgiven. And instead of being like this, 
you and God could be like this and you could sing songs like you sang this morning. He, what a good, good father, right? Because he is your father now. He's reconciled you and him. That is good news. More good news. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Good news, right? The whole world. God's reconciling the whole world to himself in Christ. Great news. How about this? Not counting men's sins against them. Do I need to say more than that? Right? That is good, good news. Uh, Good news. Be reconciled to God. It's possible to be reconciled to God? Yes. Good news. Good, good news. And so we, we see in the yellow here, we see all this good news, these good things that are possible because of what Jesus has done, this beautiful treasure. Now I want you to notice something else about it. Yes, it's good news, but, but notice what is also woven in with all this good news. Take a look at the same paragraph, but now with some different phrases highlighted. I want you to see that this good news has been entrusted to us. All this is from God. Now, it could mean that God did all this, but I think in this context, it means all this is from God. It's like, these are all the things I'm doing here. You now are responsible to steward these things in the world. And if you think that's an overstatement, then just keep reading. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us this thing that he's doing in the world. Not holding men's sins against them. Here, now you, Trinity, steward this in this valley. That, I'm not, that, that, that I am uh, not holding men's sins against them. You are now responsible for that message in this valley. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. There it is again. He's given it to us. This good news is entrusted to us. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We represent Jesus now in the world. As though God were making his appeal through us. See, this good news, this good message, how do people learn about it? How do people know? How how do they become aware that there is a God who's not just wanting to hold man's sins against them, but who actually has taken action to reconcile? How are people going to know that? They're going to know that because we are Jesus' ambassadors. It's our responsibility to represent that to people. And you see that all woven together in this passage. The good news and our responsibility for it. And it takes on a level of urgency. You see Paul say, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Why? Because you know what's at stake? What's at stake is the job God's entrusted to us. What's at stake is whether God will hold men's sins against them or not. What's at stake is whether someone will be reconciled to God or not for eternity. And because of that, it takes on this level of urgency. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Take advantage of what God has done for you. And that's the what. That's what we do. We're Jesus' ambassadors. We represent him and the work that he did and the life change that he brings and the reconciliation that he can bring to a person and their creator. And that's the what that we do. We represent that message to the world. But... That's not all, Paul says. See, everything I already told, everything I just told you, you already knew that. You already knew everything I just said. You're like, I know what the gospel is, I know the good news, and I know, I'm, I know that God's left people on earth, his church, to, to let people know about that. I, I didn't tell you anything you didn't already know. I haven't told, if you've been around Trinity for a while, you know. 
This is not new news. But for some reason, being faithful in this job, it's hard for us. And maybe one reason for that, maybe one reason for that is because we focus too much on the what and we don't stop and think about the why. We just focus on the what and we we don't understand there are deep, important reasons that we are to function in this way. And if we don't connect with the why, it's going to be hard to be faithful to the what. But Paul gives us some why in this passage. He gives us several big reasons that we ought to be faithful ambassadors. And we're going to look at those. There are four as I see them. There might be more. But I see four reasons in this passage that we should be faithful ambassadors. The why. And the first why is found in verse 11. Verse 11 says this. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Now, Paul says... We try to persuade men. We know what he's talking about, to persuade them about Jesus. And he gives us a reason. Why do we try to persuade men? Because we know what it is to fear the Lord. The first reason that we do what we do is because we fear the Lord. Now, the Lord here is Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. He's the boss, the master. He's the shot caller. He's the one that we follow. And as his followers, it should be our highest aspiration to please him because he is our Lord. And so we want to please him. And that's exactly what Paul says two verses before this. He says in verse 7, so we make it our goal to please him. We make it our goal to please the one who is the Lord, the shot caller in our lives, our master. We make it our goal to please him. And then look what he says. Because for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we persuade men. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, you look ahead far enough, just as sure as heaven that we're all looking forward to is a day of judgment, a day of evaluation. And this particular day of evaluation, the, the judgment is called the judgment seat of Christ. Sometimes uh, pastors will call it the bema seat to distinguish it uh, from the general judgment. There are two judgments. One is the judgment of the whole world, whether, whether they're in Jesus or out of Jesus. That's not this judgment. This is a time of evaluation for Jesus' followers that will come when we're in heaven. And as Jesus' followers, there's going to come a day when we're going to give account and receive reward. And we're going to give account and receive reward, Paul says here, on the basis of what we've done in our body with this clay pot. All right, With this earthen vessel, we're going to give account for what we did in this earthen vessel. And especially what we did with the treasure that's been entrusted to this earthen vessel. And Paul says, there is this day, it's going to come. And so we know what it is to fear the Lord. We know what it is to live in light of this day of evaluation. Now, this fear is not uh, the same kind of uh, fear that we often think of, of, of being afraid. A Jesus follower is not going to have to be afraid on the day of the judgment seat of Christ. There's no fear. There is not fear. Jesus is not going to hurt us. Jesus is not going to punish us. But he is going to evaluate us. He's going to evaluate us. And I think uh, of, here's what I think about when I think of that. I think of the, apost- of the disciples following Jesus. And those many times when they did something stupid. 
And Jesus says to them, you had so little faith. Or can't you just stay up and pray? You know, those kinds of things. And, 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 you know, there may be a little bit of that. There may be a little bit of that on that day. And Paul says, listen, that should motivate us. And if it doesn't motivate you, then Jesus is not your Lord. That's what I would suggest. If you're not motivated to please Him and you don't aspire, then that doesn't mean you haven't looked at Jesus as your Savior, but it means you're not living with Him as your Lord, as the boss, if that doesn't motivate you. But if that does motivate you, it should motivate us to be faithful ambassadors of Jesus. So there's one reason why you should be bold in inviting someone on Easter Sunday. There's one reason why you should worry about whether you learn God's story and your story and how to tell it. That's a good reason that you should spend time praying for people on your path who don't know God because you know the fear of Jesus. There's a second reason here. It's not the fear of Jesus. It's the love of Jesus. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, For Christ's love compels us. That's the second reason. Jesus' love for us. Now, you might have a, past, a translation that says the love of Christ. And that could be your love for Jesus or His love for you. But in this context, most uh, Bible students think that it's Jesus' love for us. Both of those are good reasons. Here, it's Jesus' love for you and me. And Paul says, it compels us. It's an interesting Greek word. My best way to summarize it is, is, to, is like moving something forward by putting it under pressure. Moving, moving something forward by compressing it. You can actually move something forward by putting pressure on the sides. Like a water balloon filled with water and you compress it and you, you propel, you compel the water that's in it. That's the idea here. So I like the word drive as another good way of, of uh, picturing what Paul's talking about. Jesus' love for us should drive us, compel us to be faithful ambassadors. Why? Because he loves us so much. So why should we, uh, why should we make uh, time for people who don't know God? Why should we uh, take those bold steps to get involved in relationships with people that we're like, I really don't have anything in common with them? Well, Jesus' love for us is what drives us into the valley. Jesus' love for what, us is what drives us into relationships that maybe we wouldn't otherwise pick up. Because Jesus' love compels us. That's the second reason. The fear of Jesus, second reason, love of Jesus, third reason is uh, because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That comes right out of this next phrase. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The idea here, Jesus died for us. If Jesus died for us, we should live for him. That's it. That's what this verse means. So why should I make time in my schedule for people that I know don't know the Lord? I'm not as comfortable in those kinds of relationships. Why do I need to make time? I'm a busy person. Why do I need to make space in my life for some relationships with people who are far from God? Why should I spend time praying for people and doing battle for people who are far from the Lord in a time of prayer on a regular basis. Why do I need to do that? Why do I need to write their names down? Well, because Jesus died for you. And he wants you to live for him. 
you have this gift, you have this benefit. And Jesus says, I gave this to you because I sacrificed for you. Will you sacrifice for me so that other people can also experience this? That's a third reason. That's a compelling reason. Three different reasons so far why we should represent Jesus well and faithfully and bring this treasure into the paths of the people that uh, are far from God. Because of the fear of Jesus, we'll give account someday. Because of the love of Jesus, it propels us, drives us. Because of... uh, this, this third reason, because of the sacrifice of Jesus. He died for us, therefore what we should do is live for him. And then there's a fourth reason, and this reason is not about Jesus, but it's about people, and we find it in verse 16. Verse 16 says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What this means, we used to regard Christ from a worldly point of view. That is, uh, this, this, uh, the Greek phrase there of a worldly point of view means according to the flesh. That's, that's what the Greek says, according to the flesh. We used to regard Christ according to the flesh. From a worldly point of view, he was a good man, he was a great teacher, yeah, he did some important things. But over time, we became convinced he's more than just a good person. He's more than just a great teacher. He's more than just a moral example. He was God in the flesh, and he died for me and rose again from the dead. And all of a sudden, we quit looking at Jesus from a worldly point of view, and we start seeing him for who he really is. And Paul says, in the same way, we should start seeing people, not according to the flesh, not from a worldly point of view, but who they really are. So he says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Here's what he's getting at. We don't see people according to the flesh anymore. As Jesus followers, we don't see people as rich or poor. We don't put them in categories. So easy for us to come across a person or look at, see a person, see the neighbors who move in a couple doors down, and we look at them, we put them in a category. We put people in categories. They're liberal or they're, they're you know, conservative. They're uh, straight or gay. Those are, they're good-looking people. They're not-so-good-looking people. That's how we see people according to the flesh. We see people as uh, Asian or black or uh, white or Hispanic. And Paul says, no, 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 we don't see people that way anymore. We don't look at people and sum them up and put them in a box and say, well, I have a lot in common with this kind of person, but I don't have anything in common with this kind of person. Or this kind of person, they're open to, they might be open to this, this kind of person, they'd never be open to, what I, to, to Jesus. I just know people like that, you know, people like that, they're not open. Paul says we don't see people that way anymore. We don't see people as illegal immigrants or hipsters or uh, conservatives or liberals. We have only two categories for all people. Everyone is either in Christ or out of Christ. That's how we see people. They are either reconciled to God or not reconciled to God. God is either holding their sins against them or he is not holding their sins against them. And those are the only two categories we have for people. We don't see people according to, uh, for, for, according to the flesh anymore. And those categories that we love to put people in and make presuppositions about, we just see them as being either in Christ or out of Christ. That's a new way of seeing people for most of us and something all of us have to practice. So I had the opportunity a couple weeks ago to, to have uh, coffee with a friend in town who is not a Jesus follower. Not a Jesus follower. And here's the thing. If you meet this guy, you'd put him in a category. 
you'd shake his hand, and, or you'd look at him. First, you'd look at him and say, oh, he's, and you'd put him in a category. And then you'd shake his hand and talk with him for a couple minutes, and you'd put him in a category. And if you knew anything about him, if over the course of a conversation, or if you knew anything about him before you met him, you would definitely say, oh, he's a blank. Uh, you would have a category for this person. And I've had to remind myself, so I've had this person in my path. And I want to be faithful in this relationship. And what I need to do is forget that he's this category or that category and this category and may or may not be open to what I say. Instead, I need to see he's in Christ or out of Christ. And this particular friend is out of Christ. So all these other categories don't matter. And all these other presuppositions about whether he's open or not open or you know, friendly or hostile to what I might say. He's either in Christ or out of Christ. Those are the only two categories that I get to have for him. And so we, uh, he's been on my impact card for years. Years. And I've prayed for him, off and on, varying levels of faithfulness for years. And we had the opportunity to have coffee. I pursued an opportunity with him to do that. And honestly, I was nervous about it and didn't know what it would be like. I didn't know what it would be like, and I didn't really know. I mean, we had some things to talk about, but, and I didn't know if it gets spiritual things, and I would love for it to have done that. And so I just prayed and jumped right into uh, an, a, a, an appointment with him. And he was probably thinking the same thing. He's probably thinking, this pastor wants to meet with me, and, and I'm in a category to him, right? And uh, that's one of those times where you want to be crazy between you and God, but normal, to him, right? <laughs> and so uh, we had a great conversation. We had a great conversation. It wasn't all about faith, but some of it was about faith and uh, his own beliefs and his past. And what I found out was there is a lot to untangle here. There's a lot to untangle in terms of uh, his own experience, his own story with God. Wow, it's, it's and he, he shared it, and I didn't really even ask, you know, but he shared it, and, and what, what I found was a lot to untangle. And we had a good conversation. It was meaningful. And now the next thing that I need to pray about is, is ways to continue this relationship. And you can pray for me, your pastor, in that regard. Here's, here's the idea. My friend is not in a category of any kind except in Christ or out of Christ. And even though socially you or I might see someone in a certain way, we need to get out of that, and we need to see people as either in Jesus or out of Jesus and not according to the flesh. So those people who moved in a couple doors down from you, don't think of them as the noisy neighbors, all right? You, don't think, you just think they're either in Christ or out of Christ. And you think of the people that you work with, your boss. You don't think of them necessarily as your boss. You think of him as he's in Christ or out of Christ. And uh, uh, those, those I smell marijuana, and I'm pretty sure I know which house it's coming from. Those are the pot smokers in my neighborhood. No, they're not the pot smokers. They're either the people who are in Christ or out of Christ. That's who they are. We need to see people that way. We need to see people not as the, the troublemakers or likely gang members, you know, or uh, upstanding citizens, but in Christ or out of Christ. And if we'd see people not according to the flesh, but according to how God sees people either their sins are being held against them or they're not, 
What a powerful motive for us to be faithful in this valley, sharing Jesus with the people who need him. When we add all these reasons together, we get a big why for doing the what, for being Jesus' ambassadors, a big why. Because we fear Jesus. He's our Lord. We aspire to please him, and someday we'll give account. And so we want to be his faithful ambassadors. We try to persuade men because we know someday we'll stand before Jesus himself. Because Jesus loves us, and that drives us into relationships and places that we wouldn't necessarily go. Because Jesus died for us, and we want to live for him. That's the whole point now. We have something to live for that's not ourselves. That's all we had before. Now we have something more. And because we see people as either in Jesus or out of Jesus, that's why we want to be great ambassadors. That's why we want to be faithful to Jesus and faithful to people in our path. That's what we want to be as a church. It's hard. But we want to be that. We had the opportunity to uh, have a retreat with our deacons and pastors this weekend. And we didn't go anywhere. We actually just stayed right here. And we met right here at Trinity for two days and prayed and talked and envisioned. And it was really a meaningful time. I look forward to sharing some of that with you as we look into the future. I believe God is really staging our church for some important things in this valley. We talked about how to, how to take what God is doing in this faith family and bring it to the valley and make the valley a better place. Make families stronger and kids safer. And the Spanish language community uh, healthier because there are Jesus followers who are paying attention. We talked about that and ways to do that and how to get, how to, how to get our church uh, really focused on these things and, and uh, to be able to see these great things that God has ahead. And it's just a reminder to us, we really want to see God touch lives in the valley and make this valley a better place to live. Then we've got to get this treasure out of ourselves and into the valley. And there's a big why to do that. We've covered several of these reasons. We want to be faithful to people in our path. And we want to be faithful to Jesus. So, over the next two weeks, we have a great opportunity to do that. There isn't any better time to bring up Jesus than Easter. It just kind of gives you opportunity to do that, especially when it comes to inviting someone to Easter Sunday. So, I, I, I want to remind you of the important opportunity that we have just two weeks from today. And this is the time for us to mobilize two weeks ahead of time. That's the time for us to get our eyes on the prize. And, and we'll have over 600 people. But see, we'll have over 600 people if just everybody who says Trinity is my home and comes here once a month comes on the same day. That's 600 right there. We don't get to count those. We want to count beyond that. The people that we've invited, the friends and family, we've said, come and hear about Jesus with me. And this, these next two weeks, one of the greatest opportunities you can have to invite someone. And uh, statistics say that people are favorably disposed to being invited to church. You're afraid you're gonna, they're not offended. You're afraid you're going to offend someone by inviting them to church. People aren't offended. They actually view it as an investment in your friendship, in your relationship with them. That's what statistics and researchers will say, that, that uh, people who are invited to church, they're like, they might say no, but they're like, hey, this person likes something enough to invite me to be part of that. I, had the op- I was surprised by the reaction that I had with my friend when I said, hey, well, sometime you ought to come to Trinity. And you know what he said? He, he threw the table over and stormed out and said, I'll never have coffee with you again. No, he didn't do that. He was like, my wife and I have actually talked about that. 
Oh, <laughs> I would not have expected that. He wasn't insulted. He viewed it as a gesture of friendship. Your friends will view it as a gesture of friendship. If you'll just say, hey, love for you to come to church with me on Easter Sunday. Here's an invitation. We want to invite. We also want to pray. We can't invite and not pray. We can't pray and not invite. We've got to do both of those things together. And so just as a reminder, you've got a couple inserts in your worship folder that are going to help you do that. You're going to have, you have this smaller card that you're going to put the names of people that you're going to pray for and larger card, same names, you're going to put it in, in the worship folder or the, worship, the offering basket as we take the offering this, this, uh, this morning. And you're going to have one more opportunity to do this next week. And then on the week leading up to Easter, we're going to be praying. We're going to have a couple times of prayer. So you're going to be praying at home. We're going to have a couple times of corporate prayer for people whose names are on these cards here at church. And we're all, uh, that's going to be a significant part of Journey to the Cross, praying for these names. So if for no other reason, that you, if you don't have any other reason to come to Journey to the Cross, come for this reason, to pray for Easter Sunday. And we'll, that will be built into that experience. And here's the deal. We want to be faithful to Jesus, and we want to be faithful to each other. And we want to be faithful to people in our paths. We are Jesus' ambassadors. And inviting people on Easter Sunday has got to be at least in part what Jesus means by that. Being bold in this valley is what God has called us to do. You, there is someone in your life who shared Jesus with you. And you can be that person in someone else's story. The person who first shared Jesus with me was Ramon Gomez, another soldier. My parents and Heather Cates. My young black leader, Chuck Jameson. Gal that I worked with in the doctor's office. Rural youth rally in Iowa. Two twin sisters. A Sunday school bus driver. My great grandfather. An older woman who took an interest in the youth group. A pastor in Billings, Montana. Pastor John Smith. The Baptist Church in Hobart, Oklahoma. My dad. An invitational hymn. Preschool teacher. My parents. Pastor Brad. My dad. My mom. William Preston. My sister Helen. Shane Prudente. My father. My parents. Vacation Bible School. My beautiful parents. My mom. My family. Series of movies. My mom. My grandmother. My dad. My mom and dad. Church camp. My young life teacher. My parents. Doris first. The Sunday school teacher. My mom. My grandpa. My mom. Some friends. The pastor. My mom. My wife. You can be, yeah. That's awesome, isn't it? Here's the deal. Somebody was that for you. And you can be that for somebody else. Let's pray. God, it's a big responsibility you've entrusted to us. If anyone else had done this, we would say, that's not a good plan. But you've done it, and we know that you are wise in what you do, and that this is your plan for us. It's a, it's a big one, and it challenges us every day. God, help us to be people who are aware, and people who are on the, on the move with Jesus in the lives of the people around us. And help us to be faithful to that. Put on our hearts the people that you want us to bring with us on Easter Sunday. And put on our hearts the people that you want us praying for to be Jesus in their lives. Even if they're not going to come on Easter Sunday. And 
then who are those people that we need to be investing in? And put it on our hearts and help us to play this role in this valley for your good purposes. We ask you to do this through Jesus. Amen. Amen.